Psychomedy is brought to you by ThreadUp, Manchester-based therapy that supports creativity. I'm Rafaela Nunes, the founder of ThreadUp and the counsellor supporting the creative community. Comedians and creatives in general can experience anxiety, depression, low moods, and this in turn can affect their creativity. One-to-one counselling can facilitate a safe space for creatives to explore any difficulties, to gain self-awareness, to develop strategies that work, and ultimately to create choices that are aligned with the natural creative flow. If you're in need of support, then please get in touch. Visit threadup.co.uk to book your counselling sessions at reduced rates when you quote Psychomedy. to Psychology. I'm Nathan Cassidy, stand-up comedian and Bachelor of Science in Psychology, a subject I've been studying for 25 years and a quarter of a century of looking at the fascinating way our minds work on and off stage. Alongside being a stand-up comedian for the last 10 years has led me here today discussing the psychology of stand-up comedy with today's very special guest, the brilliant Gronya Maguire. Gronya, how are you today? Hi Nathan, I feel like I should talk in the soft voice. <laughs> you do that. <laughs> I might do the same. Mm. So yes, as normal, on psychomedy, we won't be looking at each other for the duration of the chat, and we'll be talking in soft tones. Gronier is laying back here on my sofa, incredibly relaxed, out of the corner of my eye, laying down. <laughs> so, Gronier, I saw you last saw you gig a couple of weeks ago. You seem in a pretty happy place at the moment. Where's where's your head at in terms of happiness at the moment? Um. Well. I, I'm, I'm very happy because I got my tax bill today and it was not <laughs> as high as last year's. Oh, and most exactly. people be like, oh, but I was so happy. <laughs> I was so, so happy. Mm. And um, I've got a lovely little boyfriend at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> lovely and little. He's, li- he's only little. He's a little boyfriend. I've got a little boyfriend now. Nice. And it's good. Nice. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, we've talked to, we talked a bit on this podcast about people being in either unhappy relationships or more often no relationships, which is pretty normal mm. in stand-up. And um, we talked with someone who was really actively avoiding falling in love because she thought it would get in the way of her stand-up career. So how, how are you finding being in a relationship? I heard you talk about it at the gig a couple of weeks ago. How are you finding it from a perspective of wanting to do it, to, uh, stand-up every night and... Uh, and what you're writing about in terms of your, I guess, a new perspective. I think it's, I think, because I was single for so long mm. and I felt from like a stand-up point of view, the, the you know, stand-up routines about being really bad in relationships. Mm. For me personally, that well was running dry. And <laughs> I think as well, it's such a well, it's a bit of a stand-up cliche I think when you're a comedian well first of all when it's a male comedian I'm like I don't believe that I believe you're bad in relationships but I, I I'm so you know that whole um you know 
really good looking male comedian on stage being like, oh, I just can't get a girlfriend. And you're like, child, please. I know that's not true. <laughs> so I think um, I think we grow up in our culture with a myth that you have to be constantly unhappy and, you know, self-destructive to be creative. Mm. And I don't think it's true. Uh, well, obviously it's not true. Um, and to be in a happy, I just feel like you're always, I think we produce the same level of anxiety and we project it onto different things. So it's not like you get into a, you know, a healthier relationship and suddenly everything's fine. It's just your neurosis just creates other things to go crazy about. Oh. So now that I'm in a happy touch wood uh, relationship, I've luckily just found other things to be miserable about. <laughs> <laughs> so for all of you out there who are worried that your stand-up will be bland if you're in a happy relationship, <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> You'll find other ways to question yourself. <laughs> Lots of other people talk about this, and uh, yeah, I always think about unhappiness as you can draw on a well of unhappiness. Mm. If you're going to be creative, you don't have to be unhappy in that moment. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, that's a nice way of. Uh, <laughs> that's a nice way. But of it's well, it's like so. I have been in so many miserable relationships, mm. and they're so draining, mm. and they drain your energy, and they drain your your mental and physical health, and you're just like, if you're miserable, mm. even if you're a doctor or a comedian or, you know, a traffic warden, it's going to affect your job. So mm. it's so stupid. It's, it's so stupid that you think you can have this area of your life that's rotten mm. and it's not going to affect other areas of your life. Like, if you're happy and you've got somebody cheering you on and kind of, you know, in your corner, of course you're going to be more productive and more creative because you're not, like, spending hours boring your friends about, you know, what this text message might mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think it's... Um... I think it's only something I've, I've really thought about in the last couple of years that comedy, it's great if it's uplifting as well. And, you know, um, it's good. You know, it's um, we've heard, we've had comedians on here saying nobody likes winners. And um, but also, you know, the, the counter argument to that is pe audiences want to be uplifted. Audiences want to be feel good. Mm. So actually, if you're feeling good and you're happy, then, yeah, what's the problem with that? It's uh but it's also, there's a difference between your real life and your stage persona. Yeah. So like, like Jerry Seinfeld is a winner, but his stage persona is very much guy who's frustrated by everything in life. So mm. you don't have to be, it's not just like, you know, there's, there's a difference between the two. So in terms of comedians as a, as a kid or maybe now, who, who inspired you? Um, it's really weird because growing up, there wasn't a lot of stand-up on the television. Mm. So I just really loved um, sitcoms more than anything else. Mm. So I really loved, well, um, yeah, just like Father Ted and Black Adder and um, The Fast Show and The League of Gentlemen and stuff like that. Mm. I just loved it and I just loved... <laughs> Because it really, um, there's this, he died, but there's this Irish comedian called Brendan Grace. Mm. And we used to listen to his tape on the car whenever we were like on long car journeys on holidays. And I just, 
I just loved it. I just thought it was so magic. Mm. And even this sounds so backwards, but even I used to love going into newsagents and, you know, the comedy card section where there'd be like, you know, I knew it was your birthday because, and then you'd open up all the candles on the cake. But I just, I used to always, I just loved I was addicted just going in and just reading the setup on the front page and then be like, what's it going to be? I used to, I could easily spend half an hour just reading <laughs> the cheesiest, most awful. Yeah, I just used to nice. love that so was much. Was that as a kid? Yeah, I loved it. I grew up in a card shop, so maybe, maybe ah! I'm similar. I, I've got this vague memory of doing similar. Maybe not for half an hour. That's that's crazy. But, um yeah, nice, nice. But I, I used to just think, surely I can guess it, surely I can guess it, and I could never guess it. <laughs> and it used to just, yeah, I loved it. Nice. And I also heard you, um, I think it was in an interview, you were saying, um, comedy's my life and the stand-ups I aspire to be like always use laughter to address the big issues. And then you're asked who inspired you and you said Jonathan Swift. <laughs> Oh and, my uh, god! Kind of oh my god! So embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's nice in a way, in terms of like you are. You <laughs> That's are. That's why everybody hates me now. I know why <laughs> but now you can say Jonathan me. Swift and oh. and card shops, which I think is uh, who was that? Um, oh. oh yeah, Jonathan Swift and Purple Ronnie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was Purple Ronnie, wasn't it? The, you made a fortune. Um, but no it's nice it's nice in a way because you are different you're different to a lot of stand-ups you know you are you know unique as a stand-up you're pretentious but but is that a problem is is it a problem if you you know do do you want to shy away from these things if you uh, have been inspired to a certain extent by certain things who are your influences I think Jonathan Swift was a big early influence on my work. <laughs> oh, God, it's awful, isn't it? When you look back and you see some of the things you've said, it's yeah. so cringy. Sure. It's at okay. the time you think. Well, I think what I love, so I, I, when I was at university, I did English and I did, lo- like, I loved all those 18th century. Um, writers it just seemed like such an exciting sexy time mm. like they're on the coffee shops and they've all got their you know they're writing their pamphlets and i did i remember reading um you know that that, that essay where jonathan swift said you know to to solve the famine or to, can't have been the great famine because that would be but to, to to solve whatever famine was in ireland at the time um they should be allowed we should they should eat their babies you know and it's it was just so funny and so like dark and and edgy like you could it's almost like something Frankie Boyle would write today. So yeah. I think when you open up an old you know some book from the you know the 18th century and you expect to find something really boring and then you find something like that, mm. it just is quite exciting. Yeah, nice. You shouldn't <laughs> apologise for this. It's so cringy. Most people get everything they know from card shops. <laughs> At least you've read a bit of <laughs> literature as well. Oh. So yes, you are you are a different type of comedian mm. to to a lot of people. And I think that's a good thing. You know, you've become <laughs> widely known um, 
over the last few years for political comedy and commentary on yeah. um, shows such as Question Time and yep. This Week and Unspun. Um, mm. And I've seen your live show that you do, uh, What Has the News Ever Done For Me at Camden Comedy, which is great. So, um, so we're going to play in a clip now of you on This Week. Of course, oh. the Prime Minister famously avoided the Andrew Neil interview recently. But you signed no, right up yeah. for it on this week. Take and there's a, there's a nice clip here where you're talking about stand-up with Andrew Neil. I do stand-up, and when I'm really nervous, I fart. When I'm really nervous. You're not I'm, nervous today, <laughs> no, are you? No, I'm very relaxed. <laughs> God for that. One time I was at a gig, I was walking to the microphone, I was so nervous, I farted so audibly that I had to acknowledge it when I got on stage. And the, it was one of the best gigs of my life. Do you use this for every uh, <laughs> intro now? Just to break the tension. Theresa May. So Theresa May really needs to Yeah, she needs yeah. to say, guys, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> that is why Boris avoided the interview, I think. He didn't want those kind of things to come out. I, I think I might have mentioned this on this podcast that I... Don't watch that much television. I uh, used to watch Bullseye a lot. I've stopped doing that, actually. But actually, this week, I would watch because it's kind of when we get in from gigs, this week would be on, yeah. you know? Yeah. So it was exciting. You know, it's exciting being on that, I'm sure. Is it not? It was. That was so incredible. Mm. I absolutely... Because that was the one show I really, really, really wanted to be on. Yeah. And it's finished. The BBC have, have stopped. I know. Which is so stupid. Very sad. It got amazing ratings and was, like, very cheap to make. But... Mm. In their wisdom um but i just love andrew neil i just love his vibe i love his essence i love what he's got going on mm. I, I i won't lie i thought michael bertillo would like me a lot more than he did mm. because gay tories tend to like my energy and he was not feeling <laughs> it so that was disappointing but andrew neil we got him really well and i really liked him nice nice yeah, I've seen a, a few of your TV appearances, like Question Time, in this political context or on the news, and you all seem very relaxed, um, but there's somehow like a more determined steel about you, <laughs> in your eyes when you're being interviewed about politics or mm. issues in comedy. I've seen uh, is, um, interviews where you've got politicians attacking comedians and mm. you're kind of supporting comedians, mm. and you are really steely, maybe more so the, than you are in stand-up. Am I seeing that right? Is that, is that the passion for the subject coming through? really I mm. think it's just a different context so when you're being interviewed about other things you know it's always easier to defend other people and other things and like you know stick up for people but where you're on your stand-up it's more vulnerable and you're yeah it's more sort of vulnerable it's more playful mm. so I don't think I'm not a ranter on stage and I'm not a polemicist on stage. So, yeah, it's it's weird. So when I was doing, um, I did a lot of stuff for Repeal the Eighth to, to legalise abortion rights in Ireland. Yeah. And it was so weird because I was so used, it was the first time, usually, you know, when you're giving interviews or doing, you know, PR for your own stuff you know it's like flyering for your own Edinburgh show you're like I think I'm funny but I mean please <laughs> like me but I'm trying and it's good or it might be good it all depends bye <laughs> but it was so refreshing when I was because I was 100% sure that I was on the right side and I was 100% sure in the certainty of my cause mm. so it was so liberating to be like you're wrong I know what I'm talking about here 
So, um, yeah, it can be, it's much more relaxing, really. Yeah. So, as you mentioned that, this was, for those that don't know, this was in 2015, wasn't it? When yeah. you put out a series of tweets directly mm-hmm. to the Irish uh, Taoiseach um, Ender Kenny yeah. about... Um, your menstrual cycle, and it was all about the yeah, repeal the eighth, and mm. um, so yeah, that was a that was an amazing time, I guess. You went you went kind of global with that, yeah. with those series of tweets all around the world: Spain, Australia, Netherlands, Aust- uh, Austria, Japan. They all picked up on this. Yeah. How did that start to feel, and uh, how quickly after those the first tweet did it start to blow up? It was weird. It was the next day suddenly because oh, I was I had a deadline. I was writing for something, and suddenly my phone just kept beeping beep vibration 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 vibrating and it was really weird because I was like I had a deadline that night so I was like Shh. <laughs> this is it was really mad and then the Wednesday so it went sort of on the Tuesday then the Wednesday I was meeting up with friends we had worked on this thing and we were having a it was like instead of being paid in cash we were being paid in free champagne so the two of us got absolutely hammered as I remember we both ended up crying we were so drunk we had this you know emotional heart to heart and then the next day I woke up and the BBC wanted to interview me and I was so hungover I had to get off the bus and vomit and then I got to the BBC studios and I thought it was just going to be like a radio interview it turned out it was going to be on television and I looked the the makeup lady took one look at me and was like okay we're just going to go blusher 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 because I looked so, I looked dead. Mm. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was an interest. I was so hungover. I was dying and on live, on the BBC <laughs> World Service t- television. And compared to, compared to gigs, I don't know how nervous you get at gigs, but uh, what are the nerves like on these kind of TV appearances and um, when you're in the middle of that, how does that feel? Is it excitement or is it nerves or is it a mixture? Or... Well, it's weird because when I did, so I did question time yeah. and that was ner- obviously incredibly nerve wracking. But in a way, I had nothing to lose because I was like, I'm not a politician. I'm a comedian. The mm. stakes are very low. But then when I did. Did you think that the, the, the stakes were low? Yeah, cause... I was like, but I was like, all oh, it's BBC. It's it's new uh, question time. It's all about the politicians. All I have to do is not accidentally swear or say something racist by accident or like really like do something that goes viral in the worst possible way. It's like as long as I manage that, I'm fine. Right. And I just thought this is all so surreal. And I don't want to be a politician, so it it just it genuinely doesn't matter in a week's time everybody will have forgotten this yeah but then when i did unspun because i was there as a comedian that was like out of body ner- i was so nervous because i was right. like uh this does matter and this is what i want to do and, yeah oh my god like genuinely i felt like my legs it was incredible like my legs just felt like they were plugged into an electricity socket like it was just I was like my, there was nothing my brain could do to calm my legs down my legs were just like and it was funny even when I was recording it with the camera I was like oh my legs have gone <laughs> I was so I was, was it so, live or you... no but they were just you know they don't have a lot of time for rehearsal sure. and stuff like that so you, you only really have like one or two takes and it was just wow that was I was much much more nervous Mm. and like 
because comedy stand up you care more about it it's not like oh well this is a weird thing I've been asked to do yeah. you're like this is what I want to do so yeah. it's scarier but that's interesting because it's I think I'd be totally the opposite like, I don't feel nervous but I'd imagine on question time I'd feel nerves because it's not something I've done for yeah. the last 10 years whereas it's funny you think you know you're saying your legs are going where it's actually something you've done I know and many times a week stood there and been funny for what do you think that is then just because it means so much yeah and you've got is, skin in the game yeah I heard you on uh, another podcast uh, the brilliant David Mills's podcast oh, uh, Focus People yeah so one of the things you said on there is actually there's so many things going on in the world that some things that are big issues you just find yourself not caring about yeah. because you can't care about everything which I thought was quite interesting and a nice way um, of you know, people do get very anxious. People do get have um, issues if they if they start, you know, caring about everything. I just don't think you can, can you? I don't well, think it's possible. This is why I think, wouldn't it have been great, great to be in like a surf farmer in the Middle Ages? Because you've got the wars raging all around you. You've got famine. You've got the, you know, the Black Death. You don't feel like, oh, God, this is, I should have signed that petition or, oh, my God. I mean, we're, it's tricky because I think, you know, you read about these amazing people who do change history mm. and who do change the world. Like, I met Peter Hain. He's this incredible person who, through, he organised the boycott of the South African uh, rugby team. Is it rugby team or the cricket team? Some big sports team he organised the boycott of in Britain in the 60s, 70s. And it really just reignited people's awareness of, you know, apartheid in South Africa. And it was incredible. And you read like how one person can make such a difference. Oh. And then I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> what? That's what, you know, like, what can I do? But then at the same time, you're like, I... I can't change Chinese policy on how they treat Muslims and how they treat censorship and what they're doing about global warming. But then I'm like, well, Peter Hain was able to, you know, crack apartheid. <laughs> Why can't you think of something? And then you've got like the mess that's America and the British political system. Then back in Ireland, there's this homelessness crisis that is just heartbreaking. And then Northern Ireland kind of. It looks like, you know, the, the assembly is back working again, but will that last? And, oh. you know, abortion rights worldwide seem to be receding and the climate change. And then you're like, oh, God. You're getting me worried now. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't take, but then I know this is so, this is so awful, but like I used to read the newspaper every day. I used to read the New Statesman. But then I was, this is so self-indulgent. But then it's like part of me, then I was like, no, I should be like reading novels and going to see plays and like, you know, feeding because your brain is like your, your computer that you make things with. So it should be full of like ideas and things to inspire you. Yeah. But it's, it's tricky, isn't it? Yeah. So has that, has that changed then to a certain extent? Because in 2015, with these tweets that you were talking about, you were changing know, things in I a know, way. I know, I know, um, And you say in recent years, you've maybe backed away from that kind of, uh, that kind of feeling. Because in comedy, it's difficult, isn't it? Because 
as you say, if you're standing there in that unspun show and think so nervous because this is what I want to do. This is mm. I want to do just comedy. I want to be funny. I want to mm. be whether it's on television or whatever. Mm. It's interesting that you've perhaps gone away from that. No, I don't think it's so I think to a certain extent. No, what I think is I think so with my abortion tweet, mm. that was like that was just a spark of luck mm. that I haven't done the right idea at the right time. And what that was, what I'm so proud of that is, that's like, I made a point by being funny. Mm. And that's why that went global, because it was the right idea at the right time, mm. using comedy to make a point. Mm. And I think, no disrespect to Stuart Lee, but I think ultimately, we are comedians, like we're clowns, gestures. We are ultimately, our end goal is to be funny, to yeah. entertain. So we are entertainment. We're not you know, have these vegetables and you'll feel better. We should be entertainment. That's the whole point of us. We're entertainers. <laughs> but I don't think it's like, it's not like this politics on one side or you're like, you know, observational, crowd-pleasing fluff at the other. Yeah. But I think it's, um, you have to get the balance right. Mm. So the really best, amazing stand-ups make, a, you know, are really, really funny and then can also make great insightful points or if nothing else like I just think because the world is so sucky at the moment mm. if you for an hour can take people out of that yeah. and make them feel better and just give them a moment of release and catharsis yeah. by laughing then you that's, that's such a, an, an amazing amazing thing to do yeah so I think what I mean is I I want to move away from but I mean, this could be all in my head. This is 100% probably all in my head. Mm. But I was worried that I was being put in the earnest political comedian of issues. And I'd rather be a really good comedian that can talk about stuff like that. Because I was talking to somebody about this and he said, it's all about finding your audience, finding your audience. But I don't know if that's true. It's lovely when it happens, mm. but then you don't want... I just don't... You never improve you always want to be getting better and if if you're just playing to the same sort of people from the same background with the same you want to be i don't know how you're getting new muscles doing that yeah yeah and comedy's hard enough as it is and if you're in any way restricting the potential audience then it's going to make it even harder i saw a I saw a tweet from Mark Watson that you re replied to mm -hmm. that said in, in 2019 he had one of his best years for a while and it was still about 70% knockbacks. Mm -hmm. And you responded with this tweet that I've written down here, <laughs> obviously joking in part, but I think it's illuminating into the life and psychology of a stand-up. You say, working in comedy, in my experience, is 62% feeling invisible, 35% replying to rejection with breezy emails while sobbing in your PJs, 42% train line, 5% feeling like a magical unicorn with a direct line to divine creativity itself. And 16% being bad at maths. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was rather lovely. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot in that. Um, <laughs> rejection, I guess, is the... We, we talk a, we've talked a lot in this podcast about rejection from an audience. Maybe not rejection in terms of the day-to-day -day rejection from... The industry, and um, which I guess is what Mark was talking about in mm -hmm. terms of knockbacks, and you're talking about there with 
responding with breezy emails. Thank you very much for your no. It's really nice of you. Oh, don't worry. Oh, no. Listen, cheers. Thanks for getting back to me. I hope your project goes really well. I'm so excited for you. Oh, hey, listen. Listen, it was so lovely meeting you. And um, it's going to be great. I'm just, honestly, I think that... I should give a TED talk on how to handle rejection breezily because I actually think that's the biggest skill I've learned in my career in comedy. You could sell them as templates. They sound, that, that's only great. God. Thank you so much for saying no so quickly. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> you didn't hang about. You really, really were sure. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, it's, there is a nice way to reject and there's, the, the business is hard enough and there are people that will reject with glee or reject with yeah. kind of snide comments so does that happen often to you in terms of <laughs> the rejection Do is the know, rejection often nice or 50 is it shades of rejection There's so many different <laughs> yeah. types like snow like yeah. us comedians know all the different variant types of rejection yeah. there's the there's the ignoring sure and then there's like keeping you dangling yeah <laughs> I don't know. I just think so. It's so hard because it is like death by a thousand cuts, you know, and that's why I don't usually get because usually it's like an orchestra, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, when you see people who are very successful and they're very productive, I always think, of course, you're productive. If everything I put work into had a 50 50 chance of happening, I would be productive, too. <laughs> and it's just hard because every time it's an emotional and then it's a physical thing where, you know, you start off and you're like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to, you know, do this every day and keep the momentum up. And then you get, which is in comedy, you just get so much rejection that, it, mm. you know, you can't keep, we're not robots, we're not machines. Me, I can't just keep, I, I will always get back up again, but you also... Sometimes if I've had, so this year, well, last year, I had sort of like three big, like painful, you know, no's quite short after each other. Mm. And I just was like, I, I, I just was like, I'm taking December off from trying. <laughs> and I just was like, if work comes in or gigs come in, fine. But I just had to, for my mental health, just I had to just step back and be like okay I'm just I'm going to the cinema I'm you know throwing myself into Christmas I'm not it's just so hard and then now I'm, you know fine sort of getting back to normal but I almost I I think just treat it like if you're an athlete sometimes you pull a muscle and you have to take time out yeah like effort is our muscles <laughs> and sometimes you just have to take a break because we're not robots yet. I mean, we probably will be in a few years' time. But it's hard. It, it's so hard on your heart. Yeah. And it's, but it's so normal. Like, I, so when, when I took my sabbatical from effort in December, <laughs> <laughs> I, I really, my heart was really broken. I was so sad. Mm. And I read Joan River, like, read three of Joan River's autobiographies. And it's just so normal. Like we only, obviously we only hear it from the success stories because people who like give up don't tend to write autobiographies. But she had so many knockbacks and so many rejections. And it's it's so common. Yeah. Um, so that really gave me 
solace. Yeah. So were these from kind of big TV kind of projects? Were they these, yeah, these rejections that really hit yeah. you? Yeah. But yes. It is so hard to get up from from major ones. Mm. Do you, how often in those moments do you think this isn't a break from trying, this is maybe the end of me trying? Do you ever think, do you ever, do, do those thoughts ever cross your mind in those darkest? Well, points? you have to sort of keep that as an option in your head. Mm. But then, you know, I just, I know, I, I have so in December, I was like, oh, well, who knows? Maybe, you know, I could do other things. <laughs> but it's never something. My boyfriend was really hoping because he sort of sees, you know, how hard I work and, you know, how sad, you know, the, and it's not like I'm like Mrs. Havisham, Miss Havisham in, you know, in my wedding dress being like, oh, I was a stand up once. But he sees like he, he was like, I think he would love if I just did something else, to be honest, because he, you know, he's like, you work so hard, blah, blah, blah. But mm. then you just do one gig back and it's just, you're just like, oh, it's so magical. It's just so magical. But it's, I think you do, it's healthy because otherwise like stand-up is, becomes almost like, this is what I get frustrated about is when people treat stand-up, stand-up industry like a cult. So when people go, oh no, it all makes sense and you have to believe hard enough and things aren't going well, it's because you don't believe hard enough. And <laughs> look, she's successful because she really believed and that's why she's successful. And if I'm not doing well, it's probably because I don't believe enough. Mm. When people start talking like that, I'm like, oh my God, it makes <laughs> me want to be sick. Because there is, it's, it's like the world is unfair. So why will comedy be any different? You know, it's baffling. It makes no sense. None of it. There's no logic to any of it. So whatever self-care and coping mechanisms you can create for yourself to look after yourself. Yeah. You know, it's really important. Yeah. Is it hard to take a break then from... Because I was talking to a friend of yours. I won't say which one, but uh, mm. she she described you as a workaholic as well. Is oh, it, is God. It, um, but I think, that, I think that's a good thing. I, no! I would, no, no. It's, <laughs> people, people, people say workaholic when they mean they just work all the time because they love their work. And no, I'm, no, I'm like no. that. I work a lot because I just love it. I love working and... But I just think, I think it's a different... So I definitely am a workaholic mm. and in a, the unhealthy sense. Right. I think it's about your relationship at work. If you mm. work loads and you enjoy it, but if you're like, if there's you know, a unhealthy, you, you know, there's something inside you that you're trying to get from work, mm. which I think I, that is something I have to work on. <laughs> <laughs> get back to work on that. <laughs> like I actually went to a work addiction meeting right. during December when I went through my sabbatical. When you were having a break from work. <laughs> <laughs> went to a work addiction meeting and I'll never I definitely and it's something I definitely like I'd love I have to go back but I've been too busy to go down <laughs> well I am going to go to more meetings because I think it'll help but in the work addiction meeting so I was in a really sad place I'd had How, two, sorry where where do you find out about this work addiction look, meeting it's I not don't, something I've not it's something promotion, I've heard about it's promotion not there's some phrase it's like you promote I'm supposed to not tell people to go. I'm supposed to be, by transforming my life, attract people to going. That's right. it, attraction, not promotion. But anyway, um, so I went to the work addiction meeting. I was really sad because I'd had two big knockbacks and um, 
I was talking to my boyfriend about it. So he's a Tottenham supporter. And he, when he got to those, the championship Europe, some big football thing. That's what it's called, the championship Europe. <laughs> he got to the head of championship Europe, his <laughs> team. And then they, they lost. They came second. So my team, Liverpool. Oh <laughs> yeah. Yes. And he was heartbroken. And and he, I was like, he was like, oh, it's all over for us now. And I was like, yeah, but you were... The second team in Europe. How is that not amazing? You were the second, top two, you're the second. You got to the final. Mm. And he said, that just makes it all the more harder. And then when I got my knockback, he was like, this was your Champions League. <laughs> now do you understand? I was like, I understand. <laughs> so anyway, so I went to this work addiction meeting and I, I see so you share. So I shared, you know, you, that's where you speak and people sort of listen I comment so I said you know like I just feel like I wake up and I feel full of dread and anxiety and work me it feels like this big sort of gaping void with teeth in my life that is like engulfing me and judging me and I feel like I can never do enough and it just feels like nothing I do will ever be enough and it's tearing me apart that was fine that was my share that's how I was feeling at the moment and then at the end of the meeting this woman came up to me and she went oh if you don't mind me asking what do you do and I said oh um, I work in comedy and she went oh my god that's amazing that's so cool and I was like did you do you do you remember what I just said and then she was like have you you should do podcasts have you thought podcasts or what about YouTube you should do a YouTube series or like do you gig could I have a look at your website or Twitter loads of people are really famous on Twitter you should tweet and I was like genuine I was like oh my god I can't breathe this is we're not I don't think this is healthy this is very triggering so who's leading this 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 workshop is um it's a, it's a number of people, like a group therapy yeah, session, Yeah, I guess. It's like yeah, it's like 12 steps, probably like the 12-step Yeah, okay, uh, um, but just umbrella. for people that, for workaholics. For workaholics. I've never heard of that. That yeah. sounds fascinating. And did you get, you've been to one session, did you say? So I've been to two meetings okay. so far. And did you get, uh, have you already got things out of that to help you? I just think, it's just, I think anywhere in this world where you can be vulnerable and honest about mm. how you're feeling is so helpful just so helpful and hear other people sort of say the same thing back because I just think we don't have a lot of that we're bombarded all the time with these fake narratives so anywhere where you can just be like do you know what I feel like shit I'm jealous of all my friends I feel really insecure and I'm worried the last 10 years of my life might have been a waste Mm. bye (laughs) and have people go up to you and be like oh my god I know I feel like that all the time yeah it's just so it's so nice yeah and of these meetings or any other therapy you've done kind of did did they immediately make you understand yourself better and why you're working so much and do you get a you know do you immediately get a lot out of these sessions in terms of understanding because every time I talk to a therapist I immediately understand it much better Mm -mm. um, because they're trained in this and Mm. they find something that you just have missed you know well I think it I just think it's it's so lovely to be able just to I know it's it's got such a negative it's come such a a but a punchline but self-care so Mm. just like not you can't just work all the time you have to the things that like taking time to have like 
really nice people in your life, like healthy friendships that you feel good about when you spend time with yeah. and other stuff and like exercise and eating well and sleeping enough and like not feeling guilty because you're reading a book instead of working and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, to have that, somebody else say that, you know, it's quite, it's grounding. It's very reassuring. Yeah. Sometimes comedy, friendships and comedy can feel a bit transactional, you know, and it's so much about like status and stuff like that. So it's so nice to have friends outside comedy who, you know, just are your buddy and, you know, are rooting for you and you're not talking about comedy the whole time. And yeah, it's just, just like normal people. Yeah. Do you think through these sessions then, do you think, do you have any thoughts about wanting to work less? And, you know, you say you're in a relationship that's very happy. Is that a kind of an ideal goal for you to want to work less, to want to have the kind of mind that is not driven by work so much? Uh, I don't know. Like, mm. I've always wanted just to be really good at one thing. That's what I've always wanted. Mm. So I think... I don't think work is like this like negative thing that we have to, you know, I think it's fine to be obsessed with work as long as, you know, you're a, also a kind person who's got a happy life and nice friendships in it. Mm. And, you know, that you're not, as long as it doesn't become toxic, you know, or calcify and kind of make you miserable. I just think... I don't think there's something wrong with like I'm I I think I'm very creatively ambitious. Yeah. You know, and driven. And I think that's you know, there's nothing wrong with that because I think if you've got this passion and this urge, you know, that's good. You know, it's good to try and follow that as far as you can. Yeah. You know, and just you know, but also I just think if you are healthy and good, then everything that comes out of you will be happier and better whereas if you're not looking after yourself how can you add something better to the world yeah and is that one thing you talk about I mean you do so much in terms of gigging and writing and you also teach mm -hmm. comedy writing is that one thing being a stand-up for you I don't know like so I love teaching because I love being able to like a bit <laughs> I think I'm the only person teaching comedy who who gives out as many Elizabeth Gilbert TED Talks. I'm very into like, be kind to yourself. If you're writing, light a scent a candle. <laughs> Have a nice cup of coffee. <laughs> you know, be kind. If it's rubbish, that's fine. I really, I don't think people say that enough. And I think it's so important. So I love teaching and that it's just like writing on like TV stuff is just like so gorgeous and exciting I think I've always wanted to be you know like Mel Brooks or oh god I always forget his name but those sort of like comedians who came up in the 50s who wrote on stuff and then did stand-up and then I mean I don't think I'd ever have the patience but like wrote film scripts or like acted and stuff and I just think that would be my dream to be you know, that sort of, I want my dream of dreams. 
I'd love to be like the oldest person in the room at an award ceremony that everyone's had their picture taken with. Like that would be my dream to be like, I remember when I was working on the last. For some reason, I'm American. I don't know why. I suddenly become American and Jewish. And I'm like, I worked on the last leg in the noughties. Now, why do you have to remember it? And people be like, oh, wow. That's what I want to be. Nice. That's a great ambition. Yeah. I want to be a very old Jewish man. That's my dream. I think it's going to happen for you. Oh, I'm going to start transitioning in my late 60s, 70s, and then that's it. As long as you keep working. Never stop working, (laughs) Gronya. Why are you doing this? Is this work? I guess it is in a way. doesn't look like work. Get up. Right. Well, we are. At the end of our time Aww. here today, Gronia, thank you so much. That was um, that was really lovely and insightful. I do um, identify with a lot of the things you're saying in terms of, yeah, in terms of working hard. I just think, you know, there's lots of places for people to get help with various things. And if you choose to get help, then good for you. Yeah. I mean, it's happening a lot in comedy now that, um, well, you know, there's a few things, you know, Martin Willis did a lot for... Um, um, supports at the Edinburgh Festival mm-hmm. last year and we do this podcast in association with a, a company called ThreadUp which is a counselling service for creatives um, particularly mm. for creative people so uh, but yeah the um, the workaholics is a is a new thing for me nice I think I might be checking in there um, thank you Gronia. that was uh, that was great just before we end we're going to end with a little uh, recent stand-up clip Oh, God. Um, yes, just to make you work even harder. Oh. But it's the sole purpose of spelling out your Twitter handle oh. that I give at the end of the show. <laughs> Great way of getting the news. It's like a, it's like a drunk racist town crier. <laughs> if you want to follow me, my name is Grongy Maguire. It's spelt uh, like all Irish names, just exactly how it's pronounced. <laughs> so it's pronounced Grongy, so it's spelled G-R-A-B-H... <laughs> K seven <laughs> hashtag dancing Spanish lady. So uh, <laughs> uh, there we go. That's the spelling yeah. of Gronia. Gronia seven Spanish. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on Psychomedy today. Thank you. You are such a you, you are such a unique comedian in sometimes oh, a very samey world. <laughs> I'm don't you, <laughs> you shy away from this? You are. It makes it it's, sound like. Uh, like you mean something else when you say that. <laughs> it's a no from me, Grania. <laughs> this, is, this has been an hour-long rejection from me. You can never come on this podcast again. It's a yes from me, Grania. Thank you. Thank you for coming on Psychomedy today. So that is our show for today. Join us again next week for more Psychomedy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify UK, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you liked it, please give us a big yes, a big five-star review. It helps other people to find us, and only psychopaths leave three-star reviews. Psychomedy was written and presented by me, Nathan Cassidy, BSc in Psychology, and produced and edited by Mike Hansen, BA English for Pod People Productions. Theme music by Mike as well. So that's Psychomedy. Please subscribe, rate, and listen back on all the great episodes so far. They're listed in this video clips and more at psychomedy.co.uk. Follow us on social media at Pod People UK, at Psychomedy Pod, at Nathan Cassidy, and at Gronya Maguire. <laughs> Thank you again, Gronya. That was great. Lots of love. See you again next week.
good people.